What up, everybody? Just a little reminder that the St. Dimphinus Playbook book is available wherever you get your books and ebooks. You can head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, to get 20% off. Go get your copy now. Venerable Matt Talbot once said, God will not ask us how eloquently we have spoken, but how well we have lived. Welcome to the 130th episode of St. Dimphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network, the last episode of this season of the show. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to remember. It's not about having the perfect words to share with a suffering sister or brother. It's about being willing to be present with them in their suffering that makes all the difference. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. I received a topic from Catherine that I thought would be a good one for us all to talk about. How do you process trauma that still lingers? I had a traumatic childhood as well as a traumatic event in my teenage years, and it's still causing issues with me forming relationships with men. I want to move past my trauma, but people say that trauma lingers and it will never really go away. Is this true? And if it's not, is there a good way to work through the trauma? Well, let's join in prayer together for everyone facing trauma in in their lives early on, for safety, justice, and healing as they continue their walk toward wellness. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I want to start by letting you know that you are not alone. So many of us continue to experience the after effects of our trauma or symptoms related to childhood or teenage trauma throughout our lives. And second, I want to agree with the sentiment that it never really goes away. However, it's important to add to that reality that we can find relief. We can find joy again. And the fact that it never goes away doesn't have to mean that we're stuck in the same place with the same struggles forever. There's always something that we can do to move toward wellness. We'll get some thoughts here from casapalmera.com. Children are often viewed as highly uh, resilient and able to bounce back from just about any situation, but traumatic experiences in childhood can have a severe and long-lasting effect well into adulthood if they're left unresolved. If you're living with the emotional and psychological consequences of a traumatic childhood, there is hope. Here are seven ways to heal your childhood trauma and reclaim your life. Number one, acknowledge and recognize the trauma for what it is. Victims of childhood trauma often spend years minimizing the event or dismissing it by pretending it didn't happen or by succumbing to feelings of guilt or self-blame. The only way you can begin healing is to acknowledge that a traumatic event did occur and that you were not responsible for it. Number two, reclaim control. Feelings of helplessness can carry well over into adulthood, causing you to make choices based on your past pain. There may always be a battle between past and present, but as long as you're willing to let go of the old defenses and crutches you used as a child to navigate your trauma, you will be able to reclaim control of your life now and heal your pain. Number three, seek support and don't isolate yourself. A natural instinct that many trauma survivors have is to withdraw from others, but this will only make things worse. A big part of the healing process 
process is to connect to other people. So make the effort to maintain your relationships and seek support. Talk to a trusted family member, friend, or counselor and consider joining a support group for survivors of childhood trauma. Number four, take care of your health. Your ability to cope with stress will increase if you're healthy. Establish a daily routine that allows you to get plenty of rest, eat a well-balanced diet, and exercise as regularly as you can. Number five, learn the true meaning of acceptance and letting go. Just because you accept something doesn't mean you're embracing your trauma or that you like it or agree with it. Acceptance means you've decided you're going to deal with it. You can decide to let it rule your life or you can decide to let it go. Letting go doesn't mean poof, it's magically gone. Letting go means no longer allowing your bad memories and feelings of a bad childhood to rob yourself of living a good life now. Number six, replace bad habits with good ones. Bad habits can take many forms like negatively, uh, like negativity and always mistrusting others or turning to alcohol and drugs when feelings become too hard to bear. Bad habits can be hard to break, especially when they're used as crutches to help us avoid reliving the pain and trauma of our childhood. A support group or a therapist can help you learn the tools necessary to break your bad habits and replace them with good ones. And number seven, be patient with yourself. Be patient, honor your progress, no matter how small it might seem. It's the little victories in your recovery that will eventually help you win the battle of healing your childhood trauma. So back to me, I also wanted to get some thoughts on building healthy relationships in the context of working through past trauma. So here's some stuff from psychalive.org that I think is really great. Here are three tips to help you move forward in deeper relationships. Number one, consider the unrealistic standards you're holding yourself to. Would you expect a friend to be as self-sufficient as you expect yourself to be? Yet you must hold yourself accountable and be responsible, but you must also recognize that you're human. Bring the compassion you have for those you love to yourself as well. Number two, allow yourself to see the depths of your current relationship. Oftentimes, trauma survivors are givers who expect and accept nothing in return. It might be tough to see the true depth of the love and support and compassion of those close to you. Um, Try to look at your relationship objectively and consider this potential. And last, remember you deserve compassion, support, and deep relationships. Asking for help can be difficult for everyone. It can be especially difficult for those who've survived trauma. Through therapy, it's possible to realize that you do truly deserve deep relationships as you grow and evolve through life in the good times and the hard times. And back to me again, Catherine, please know that we're praying for you and that there's always hope for healing and wellness. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm going to introduce you to Saint Joaquina Vedruna de Mas. Born in 1783 in Spain, when she was 12 years old, she expressed interest in becoming a Carmelite nun, but her parents didn't believe she was old enough to make a decision like that. As a child, she was also known for obsessive cleanliness. She was married in 1799, had nine children, and became a third order Franciscan with her husband. Tragically, Napoleon invaded the area that she lived in, and she and her children fled, leaving her husband behind to fight, and he died in 1816. She began to wear a Franciscan habit, and she and her children began helping those in need in the area that they had moved to, especially sick women with no one to care for them. She ended up founding an order, 
with the bishop's approval, and her order was aggregated to the Carmelites in 1860. She died in 1854. She didn't get to see that aggregation, I guess, from the cholera epidemic. As of 2008, her order had 2,012 religious in 280 houses as far out as Japan and Eritrea. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer, and we're going to go with something that St. Joaquina actually wrote. Love, love, and yet more love. Love that is never satisfied. The more we love God, the more we shall long to love him. And when we have Jesus in our hearts, we shall have everything else in him and with him. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Katie gets us started. How to stop seeking reassurances from family and friends regarding a big decision. Let's start by praying for Katie and everyone who finds it difficult to avoid seeking reassurance from family and friends. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. I think this is something a lot of us have to cope with in our lives, but sometimes it can become debilitating, right? It can get to the point of our anxiety making it difficult to function, and we constantly seek our reassurance, but you know, that seems to only give us temporary relief, and the very reassurance we seek can actually end up making our brain need more reassurance to quell the anxiety uh, than ever before. Here are some thoughts uh, on what to do about this from the Chelsea Psychology Clinic. The next time you feel uh, the pull to seek reassurance, here are some steps you can take. Stand up to it. The only way to overcome this kind of behavior is to stop responding to it. Try to acknowledge what you're feeling and simply sit with it without responding in the usual way. You'll notice that the anxiety dissipates in its own time. If this feels difficult, it can help to work alongside a therapist who'll be able to support you. Next, breathe. Slow, deep breathing kickstarts the parasympathetic nervous system, the part of our nervous system that's responsible but for promoting a sense of calm in the mind and the body. Try the following exercise. Breathe in for four seconds. Hold your breath for seven seconds. Exhale for eight seconds. Repeat over several times until you feel a greater sense of calm. Challenge your thoughts. The anxious thoughts that lead you to seek out reassurance are likely to be unrealistic and unhelpful. Try questioning the validity of these thoughts. Ask yourself questions like, am I catastrophizing? If this happens, what's the worst case scenario? What's the best case scenario? Would I be able to cope if X actually happened? The answer is usually yes. Reassure yourself. Ask yourself what kind of reassuring words you're looking for from others and try giving them to yourself. They may be things like, you're safe. I love you. I will always be here for you. Things are going to be okay. Whatever happens, I can deal with it. Practice self-soothing. Self-soothing is an important skill you can turn to whenever you feel stressed or overwhelmed. You can practice self-soothing by engaging the five senses. Here are some ideas. Touch. Run a warm bubble bath with Epsom salt. Smell. Make a nice soothing herbal tea. Taste. Mindfully eat your favorite food, taking note of all the different flavors. Sound. Listen to your favorite soothing song. Sight. Watch a comforting, nostalgic movie. And back to me. Know that we will always be praying for you. Leah is up next. 
text. How do I cope with anticipatory grief? My mother's cancer has returned and metastasized after a miraculous initial recovery. She is at peace with God about all of this, and I and all the people that love her are praying that God works to heal her through the new treatment she will be taking. But I'm having a hard time grieving terribly, even though she is very much alive, and somehow feel faithless for doing so like I'm being too fatalistic or that my faith somehow isn't enough to comfort me on a wait list for therapy, but could use some advice in the meantime. Let's join together in prayer for Leah, for her mother, for her entire family, and for everyone walking through the experience of anticipatory grief and all the emotions that come along. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Anticipatory grief is such a difficult experience to walk through. So many conflicting emotions swirling around us, and it can be difficult to cope. Let's get some thoughts from Very Well Mind on how to start moving through this process. Anticipatory grief is different from con conventional grief. You feel anticipatory grief before someone dies. You feel conventional grief afterward. This type of grief can be experienced by both loved ones of someone who is nearing death and the person who's actually dying. You may have mixed feelings while a loved one is dying. You may hold on to hope while also beginning to let go. These emotions can be deeply painful. To make matters worse, people are less likely to get support for their grief at this time. Sometimes other people who've not been through this experience may react poorly. They may think you're giving up on the dying person. Fortunately, there are things you can do to help cope with the grief you feel for someone who's still here. Let yourself grieve. Denying your grief now may prolong the grief you feel after your loved one dies. Find someone to talk to who will listen without judging or trying to fix things. And don't underestimate the impact of spending time together, even in silence. Back to me, you know, other ideas to help in this moment would be journaling, uh, nurturing spirituality through prayer whenever you're able to, getting out in nature and setting some time aside for meditation, and also taking some time to practice forgiveness. Oftentimes this can be a difficult one, but opening oneself up to forgiveness during this kind of experience can be a very important step in the journey toward wellness. One last bit, since you mentioned that you feel like your faith isn't enough to comfort you, I would spend some time contemplating how Jesus grieved because he loved his friend who died. And grieving is a human experience that no one escapes, even those with the strongest faith. So if we can look at Jesus himself grieving, if we can look at Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mother, who knelt by the cross and grieved for her son even though she knew he would rise again. They had the strongest faith imaginable, and they experienced this same feeling that you're going through. So be at peace. Try these coping skills or the ones that at least sound like they'll help, and know that we're praying for you. Anonymous wraps us up. I recently experienced something very traumatic and I'm not coping well. A few weeks ago, my uncle passed away in my arms. It was sudden, unexpected, tragic. He just stopped breathing and died and there was nothing I could do to make him come back. I'm struggling with so many different feelings and emotions. I feel the impact every single day. I already suffer from social anxiety with panic attacks and I'm on medication. Because of the social anxiety, it's never been easy for me to ask for help or talk to anyone. I hope as time passes, the memories of that horrible day are more manageable. For right now, though, I'm really struggling with so much guilt, anger, and hopelessness. I can't sleep, worry, cry all the time. Do you have any suggestions on things I can do in these early days 
that might help me cope better in the long run. Right now, I feel like I will never be the same. Let's all join together in prayer for Anonymous, for her, for Anonymous's uncle, and everyone who has had to face this kind of experience, for peace from God into their hearts, help from those around them, and compassion from everyone they open up to. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. I'm so deeply sorry that you've had to walk through this experience, Anonymous. It's something that goes beyond what most of us could even imagine. But I want you to know that even in our small way, the community brought together by this podcast will be thinking about you, praying for you, and hoping for peace moving forward. We're going to take a look at alinahealth.org for some thoughts. When you're dealing with grief, remember, you are not alone in your emotional struggle. There is no right or wrong way to handle trauma or loss, and there is no set timetable. It's normal to experience setbacks on the path to healing. Grief can last for weeks, months, and even years. Feeling guilty about losing a loved one or after experiencing a traumatic event is common, but the tragedy is not your fault, and it is beyond your control. Back to me. I want to take a look real quick at uh, symptoms related to PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which can become a part of our lives after experiencing a traumatic event like this. Post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms include unpleasant reoccurring memories, sleep disturbances caused by nightmares, or stress, right? Difficulty concentrating, overwhelming anxiety, stress, depression, and the fear of not being safe, guilt, and shame. There are a lot of pieces uh, of advice. This is back to me again for those of us walking through an experience like this, getting good exercise, maintaining social interactions and things like that. These coping skills only come with time. In the early days, we have to focus on more immediate skills to get started on this path toward healing. And this includes things like mindfulness exercises, getting outside, deep breathing, things that can quiet our anxiety, keep us in the present moment, and hopefully get us through these difficult early days so we can eventually move toward engaging in those other long-term coping skills. My suggestion for mindfulness exercises is to search on Google and find the ones that best match with your personality. There's so many, right? And some just don't sound right for us. Some sound good for us, so we have to find the ones that work for us personally. I really like the ones that engage the five senses, like we talked about earlier, to help us stay in the present moment. But everyone is different, uh, and the ones that seem to make the most sense for you are the ones that you'll want to be focused on and maybe find comfort in. And back to me, just one last thing. Know that you have this community of friends lifting you up in prayer as you go forward. We're here, and we'll keep praying for you. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode, in a future season. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support their cause. And until next season, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. 
and so will St. Dymphna. 